0: can we talk about how useful we have found the Media Moves newsletter from Cision? Yeah, I didn't know about this before and now I've signed up, it is
1: so useful. You get a list on there every week of all the different people moving around different publications and basically you've got a ready-made list of commissioning editors with their contact details, which you
0: can then use when you want to pitch, it's so helpful. Yeah and on top of that as a freelancer you can actually list yourself as looking for work and your details so people know all about you and where to find you. Yeah it's so useful
1: I'd really recommend people go and have a look at scission.co.uk click on journalist services and then have a look out for media moves and you can sign up for the newsletter there. (coughs)
0: Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Emma Wilkinson. And I'm Lily Cantor. We're both experienced freelance journalists and in each episode, with the help of two fabulous guests, we give practical tips on key issues you face when working for yourself.
1: Today we're going to talk about something which we should all be taking very seriously, but it is quite easy to put off, and that's pensions.
0: Yeah, so our guests today are going to help us unpick why we should have a pension. Uh, how to go about it as a freelancer, and how much we should be putting away for our retirement.
1: Yeah, so I'm a bit unusual, I get a bit excited talking about this kind of stuff, personal finance, Um, so this should be really interesting. But first of all, Emma, let's do our highlight of the
0: week. So what's yours? Well, this is a joint highlight, really, because we celebrated the two-year anniversary of launching the podcast. We did. we did. And we were actually in the same place in Sheffield, eating cake, and then later drinking wine, and somehow building up a very impressive bar build that <laughs> we had to scrutinize the next day and I don't yeah, have no idea why it got to the level that it did, but it did. There you go. Um so yeah, what's what's your highlight, Lily, other than that celebration?
1: I think mine is that I've actually booked a um, summer holiday to Barbados, which I'm very Ooh. excited about. And that's all thanks to my ALCS money from this year. <laughs> it's gone straight on the holiday. Um got a payout higher than I was expecting. So um yeah, booked myself a holiday with
0: the family. Oh, magic Money Tree holiday. That's fantastic. I and very Swish. I'm mm.
2: impressed.
1: Okay, brilliant. It's time to introduce this week's guests. We have with us Brendan Mayton, an experienced freelance journalist who writes about investing and savings. Before going freelance, he worked at the Financial Times, and he also writes regularly for Investments and Pensions Europe.
0: We also have with us Hannah Smith, a freelance financial journalist specialising in investment management and personal finance. Hannah has recently written for The Telegraph, The Sun, Times Money Mentor, and produced for the BBC's Business Unit.
1: Yes so let's start and let's start with the case for pension. So Brendan I'll come to you first if you're someone that's working for yourself maybe you're trying to get established you're trying to kind of get your cash flow going you might kind of think oh I'll I'll put off my pension Um, I'll worry about that later but why do you think we should all be taking our pensions more seriously?
3: Well the, the simple answer is, um, do you want to work till you die? You know, if you want to have some kind of relaxation, maybe not in Barbados, but at home uh, when you're old, then you've got to fund it. So that's the simple reason.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But, um, I always get a bit scared when I do the maths of kind of how much you need to, to save in order to maybe have the retirement that you want. Um, I mean, Hannah, how early should we start to think about pensions? Um, you know, why is it important to start young? Have you got any sort of good facts to convince us of the earlier the better?
2: Yes, I sure do. It is, yeah, it is the sooner the better. Um, the small contributions early on make it a lot of, more of a difference than larger ones later because of this magical thing called compound interest, which is such a boring name, but it's actually a really interesting concept because it's it means your interest earns interest and then that interest earns interest and then that and so on Uh, like a snowball rolling down a hill it gathers more and more more money and your pot gets bigger Um, and the only thing that you can sort of do to give that time for that magic to work is give it as much time as possible and the other advantage of that is you're investing in financial markets which you will be they they fall inevitably and time gives you um, a chance to recover from those falls so, yeah. So a good stat to kind of prove that is, um, if you this is from um, the government's website, Money Money Helper. If you invested 100 pounds a month at age 30, and then you had, say you were a basic tax rate, rate sorry, basic rate taxpayer, you get 25 pounds in tax relief on top, free money, very exciting. Then at 68, you would have a pension pot worth 112,000, which it's not too bad considering that you know 100 pound a month you might not really miss that too much um whereas if you started saving that same amount at age 40 you'd have 68000 pounds um at the age of 68 if you did the same thing at 50 you're looking at a pot worth 36000 so it's a big difference um those first few years can make so yeah the sooner the better obviously finding that spare money is difficult but don't worry i have tips for that too Great, right. we look forward
1: to hearing them. Um, Brendan, if we can come back to you then. So, I mean, if you're working for a company, generally your your pension is sorted for you, you don't necessarily have to think about it. But as a freelance, you know, no one's gonna sort it for you other than the the state pension. So, I mean, how do you get started? What what are your options?
3: Yeah, you're you're right. This is one of the problems of being a freelancer. There's lots of great size. There's the liberty. You can choose when to work, who to work for. But you do have to dig deep and organise a lot of your life, um, which is the hard bit. Um, The government uh, gives you a couple of options. Just going back to the basic pension, I think we're going to cover that. That's going to get you about £9,000 for people like us, just to let people know, well, how much do I earn now? £9,000 approximately you'll you'll get ballpark. Um, So you need to build on that. Most of us spend a lot more than that per year. You can go to what they call platforms, co-funds or Hargreaves Lansdowne, they're the biggest, but firms like Fidelity, you know, will offer you a platform and on there you can choose, kind of pick and mix, Um, an investment fund of the kind Hannah described, you can go on to. Uh, Lots of big brands, names people will probably know, like Aviva, Legal and General, will offer you a personal pension. They're really the options you have. And the only thing I'll say at this stage, which I think will help the audience, is a pension is more tax advantageous than an ISA. So anybody looking at, well, financial products, which is better? What we're saying here is personal pension is better than an ICE. So don't be distracted, if you like, initially by other types of financial vehicle. Personal pension is the one for you.
0: Anna, how do you know how much you should be putting away? And this is probably a good point for your tips on how to kind of make sure you have that money to put away for your pension as well. If we could kind of cover that in one,
2: yeah. one fell swoop, how how do you know what's the right amount? Um so It's estimated that you probably need to be comfortable. You need about two thirds of your current earnings um, to live on. Um, So to get that, how much should you be saving? Well, there is a rule of thumb, which says if you take your age and halve it, sorry, the age at which you start your pension and halve it, that's how much you should be putting in. Um, So if you're 30, you put in 15 percent of your income. Um, If you're 40, it would be 20 percent. I know that sounds like a lot and it (laughs) makes people panic a bit. Um, I think the message really is just do what you can, um, because the sooner you can do it, the more it will, as I said before, you know, it mounts up over time. Um, 64% of self-employed people don't have any pension savings at all. And those that do are looking at a, a, a pot at retirement that's worth 56% 56% of the UK average, um, which is, you know, that's that's a really big difference, something like 121,000 versus 217 for the average, um, for the employed population, uh, because of course, the employed population gets the benefit of the, work, the employer paying in as well. Um, so, you know, we really have to work harder as freelancers to make up that gap. Um, so how can you do it? Well, um, firstly, I would say, try to it's it's horrifying honestly but do a pension calculator and see what the situation is put your figures in um see how you know tweak it mess around with it Hargreaves Lansdowne I've got quite a good one which is quite detailed and it shows you um how much you need to be putting away to get a certain amount over what period um and then I guess how you when you've got a figure in mind um you can think about how to achieve that so one thing that's probably quite useful. If you've ever been, if you're freelance now, you might've been a staffer at some point um, and you might have old workplace pensions hanging around. It could be kind of, it's just a good start, like a a little leg up. If you can find those round them up and merge them into one, even if there's not much in there, you know, it's better than nothing. Pension B is a good service to do that. Um, And there's also a a government service called the pensions tracing service, which is free and can help you find um, old lost pension pots. Um, if you have a limited company pay your pension contributions through that because that also brings down your corporation tax bill so that's kind of double whammy of tax efficiency um and then a quite important rule as well pay yourself first if you can so this rule is basically when you you treat something you treat your savings as a non-negotiable expense like your tax bill we're all putting money away from for our tax bill right Yes, we're not waiting until the last minute and trying to find it, no. Um, so get that get that kind of put away as soon as you get any income in and treat the pension the same way. So um, you know that it's non-negotiable, it's covered. I guess as freelancers, because our, our income fluctuates, you, you might not know how much you can afford month to month, but just you know, something, anything, even if it's not the same amount every month, just put it in as soon as you have some money coming in. And when you raise your rates, which we're also doing right, ratio pension contribution as well
0: yeah yeah so one thing that it took me quite a long time to get into the habit of doing was now every time any bit of income comes in however small it might be an invoice for 150 pounds or something the proportion that I need to cover tax pension so all that just goes to one side straight away and it did take me a while to get into that habit but now I'm in it it's so much easier I know exactly kind of where I am and um I mean one thing that might be good to address here, Hannah, is so as someone, so I've had three maternity leaves that were quite close together. So there was and then kind of working part-time as children were young. So there was a period of sort of eight or nine years there where I was either not working or had much lower income and didn't know. And I think so it just kind of went on the back burner. And I think that message of even if you put something really
2: small away just to keep doing it is really important isn't it? Mm. Yeah I mean women are really extra disadvantaged here because well it's quite a common setup that um, you know you the, as the woman you're the one that's freelancing around the young kids or as we get older we're going to be in the sandwich generation and we're probably going to have elderly parents to take care of too because this is still wife work apparently in, you know even in 2022 so yeah um women it just goes on the back but there's so many other things to spend that money on day to day isn't there um especially now the cost of living a cost of living crisis um you know god knows how much putting fuel in the car the cost of turning heating on it's all eating up our money um and the problem is if you're it can end up very um very unequal within a relationship quite quickly because of this so say if your partner is let's say it's your your uh your partner's employed and salaried um and they put pension contributions come straight out of their salary. They don't think about it. Um their employer pays in and they get their tax relief. Again, it's just it just happens every month. Um, over time they could end up with quite a decent sized pension there. Um, whereas you know you as a freelancer, you're just you haven't got time to think about it. Nothing's really going in. It's all going on the household budget. Um, if you're not married um and you know it's sad but people relationships do break down if you split up your your partner could walk away with a a nice pension pot and you've got like bugger all really and you can end up you know poor in your old age because you don't have any claim on that if you're unmarried but you know that that pension has been built from your unpaid labor and as a family unit you need to be looking across both pensions um especially if you're not married the partner needs to be covering pension contributions for the freelancer who is usually the woman because otherwise you know you end up one one party is disadvantaged from taking care of children and that's not fair um, and if you don't address that there is a an awful stat which says this is an official government figure there were 2.1 million pensioners living in poverty in 2020 um, and many of those were over 85s and single women so you don't want to be one of those because we already can't afford to put the heating on. Who knows what it's going to be like and, you know, by the time we're old. So, yeah, deal with it now.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's such good advice. And I think it is, it's about um, it's about budgeting across everything, isn't it? It's not just the pension, it's kind of calculating um, your income and your outgoings and how much you can afford to put away. And like you say, if you've already got perhaps a staff, you know an old frozen staff pension somewhere. Um, yeah I mean I know mine's really complicated because I've got old pensions, I've got ongoing uh, university pensions, I've got about five different pensions plus private pensions um, and so kind of trying to work out what you're going to end up with when you retire is, is really difficult. Um, Brendan I just wanted to pick up on something you you mentioned before because you were talking about how pension from a tax perspective is is kind of your best um, sort of long-term investment Um, do you think though that it's worth um, kind of I guess spreading the risk are there other types of investments I mean we haven't mentioned lifetime ISAs yet Um, I, I, I just wonder kind of what other things, perhaps people should be thinking about. For example, I know someone who's got prop doesn't have a pension, but he has property, and he keeps saying, yeah. "That's my pension."
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A common refrain. Um, again, rough stat using the nationwide property index uh, semi across the UK. A semi in um, 1980. You know, if you you bought it, then be 75 grand average price. worth half a million now i'll check my stats on that but the point is that it's it's earned handsomely it's earned handsomely in most parts of the country for most people there's lots to say pro property especially it's bricks and mortar okay if you get a personal pension it's documentation it'll tell you at least where the top 10 investments you've got are but it's like Iberdrola of Spain well you might know who Iberdrola are but it seems a lot more distant than the property you can see and feel and you've you've got the keys for even if if you've got tenants um it's not always plain sailing as people who've got sort of second and third homes um will tell you although you never feel that much sympathy for them do you um it's a definitely a viable alternative going back to Isa's, you were you were talking about you know spreading the investment it's not spreading the investment an Isa would invest in roughly the same things it's the time period you can get your money out more quickly and for a lot of the kind of pressures that you've all outlined today i thought what hannah said's been excellent i'd I'd just back up everything she said some people are thinking hang on a minute i don't know where i'm going to be in five years time if i have to lock the pension up then oh you know that that's a bit scary and that's one of the reasons that daunts people from doing it in the first place. So just reiterate what Hannah said, a little and often is excellent. Think of the way that we pay our utilities. You pay your phone bill, it's a direct debit. Those companies don't take chances. They hate pay-as-you-go kind of people. They just want that stream of money and you should treat your pension the same way. Get it where it's kind of, you almost don't know it. That's the, even the brightest people have problems forming habits. Make it a a quasi direct debit, which which it is. the uh, time period, just just for the facts, you know, you can draw from fifty five, um, and that'll be true. Like for instance, of your university pension that you mentioned. In extremis, people get really ill. You might get a bit. They might let you take it earlier, but normally at the moment it's fifty five. It'll go up to fifty seven. But conversely. We're talking about, Hannah's mentioning retiring at 68. Lots of us, frankly, I don't see myself retiring at 68. I don't have the money. Also, we're living longer. You know, the average is early 80s, uh, which is a blessing and a curse. You know, it's in a way something to, to worry about. But if you think about longevity, then you can keep the pension going. So there is a kind of flexibility I appreciate if you're listening to this in your 20s or 30s, you think, well, 55, oh, you know, that's, my, that's what my parents are. That's, yeah, I don't want to think about that. But um, there is some flexibility, but you you can't really take the money out till you're 55. Um, no reason not to do it, but it is daunting. I'd, I'll stop there. I don't know if we want to do the property angle. Um, maybe Anna's got some views.
2: I guess just that, yeah, I was going to say the same that, um people do when people talk about my pension is my property if you're living in it sorry my property is my pension if you're living in it um how how is it good it's not it's your house you can't draw you can't withdraw money from it well unless you go down the equity release route but that's a whole nother kettle of fish but probably won't open that pandora's box right now but um uh, yeah and then fair enough if you have a rental property um you might use that as a source of income for retirement income um but i would just say you know it's a lot less um, profitable to be a landlord than it used to be. It comes with its own set of risks, costs and responsibilities as well, if you're doing it properly. Um, So yeah, maybe worth considering, but honestly, pensions are easier or an nicer, as Brendan said, so you can have as freelancers. We need that flexibility. Lifetime ISA is also good, but you can't, if you're using it for retirement, you can't um, access it until age 60 um without paying a penalty to take the money out um, so again you're in it for the long long haul with that one but you do get a nice 25 percent government bonus on that uh, up to uh, if you say it's up to on four grand a year of savings so it's it's not as much money as you maybe would want to be putting in but if, if you know if you need to start small it might be a good place to start yes
0: um and obviously we've said like the sooner the better when you start um, but let's say that you have put it off you're a bit older maybe you're in your 40s you're kind of panicking now that you need to do something um, what's the best way Hannah to try and sort of catch up I mean obviously we we wouldn't ever encourage everyone to just bury their head in the sand and pretend it wasn't a problem so without panicking them how can we kind of say right make a start
2: um I guess I would just say you know don't It's never too late, really, because even if you're, you know, as Brenda said, we're living longer. Even if you're in your 50s, you might have easily, you know, 15, 20 years of working life. You know, you still might be working part time when you're, you know, in your 60s. People have got more energy and more healthy these days. So that's still a lot of time to save and to grow your pot if it's invested in growth things growth um, you know growth assets Um, and even if you're in retirement um, potentially you might if you're 30 years in retirement you're not gonna you could spend your whole pot at once and buy a Lamborghini but you probably won't Um, so in that 30 years of retirement there's still time for your money to be growing then as well so I guess the message for me is really it's not over till it's over Um, you know do something rather than nothing and you can also maybe think about Again, this is probably where you might need um, financial advice if possible, but think about putting, not going too conservative in what you're invested in. Um, this is kind of a bugbear of mine with some default options on pension funds is that they they put you in things that are very safe too early and that that costs you a lot in growth that you really need. So um, you need to look at that, just see what you've been invested in um, and, and try to understand why why that is the case. Um and again, yeah, you might need help if you can um afford advice, take yeah, it. Yeah, that I mean
0: that leads me on to my next question very nicely, mm-hmm. Hannah. And I think I'll put yeah. this to both of you, but I'll ask you first, like at what point, like when at what point do you try and stop struggling with this yourself and get some financial advice?
2: Oh man, I want everybody to have financial advice, but um there's this thing called the advice gap, which a lot of us are gonna fall through. And that's basically that means um you might not have enough in assets to make to look like an attractive proposition to an advisor because you know they're a business they need to make money on you they want a percentage and if you've only got a small part then you might not they might not want to take you on as a client Um, and advice you know it is expensive however there are um, lots of sort of studies and things showing that it does pay for itself over the long run Um, but even if you can't afford retirement planning from you know advice from the get-go even if you were to take a bit of advice later in life as a sense check you know you might be able to get like a one-off different advisors will do it in different ways but you know just a bit of their time as a sense check that what you're doing is right is better than nothing um but yeah I'm failing that there um there are free sources of it's not advice it's not personalized in that way but guidance and information so the money and pension service is the government service and there is a help like a a helpline so you can speak to a human but you know just don't expect personalized recommendations it's very much like here are some options and you have to decide what's the the right thing for you um but yeah honestly if you can take advice do it early because i think it is worth it in the long run
0: yeah, Brendan, it'd be interesting to get your view on that, because that's something that I'd not considered, actually, because I was just assuming like, oh, financial advisor, you, you either decide to have a financial advisor or you don't. But actually, maybe you could just take stock at a certain point in time and get some advice and maybe get some advice on what your options might be. Yeah. One thing
3: um, just to, to clarify, I'll let Hannah come back if she wants to on this. She said, you know, they they, they need to run themselves as a business. They absolutely do. They need a percentage percentage. Um, you should be able to get fee-based advice, uh, which is just clearer and tends to be more attractive in any walk of life, doesn't it, as a client? Someone says, this is the fee. Okay, um, a percentage, there are all sorts of percentages in, in the world of pensions, um, but I'd try and look for a fee. I think that the important thing to say, what, what we have to do here, all of us, is encourage people to take stock of their financial situation. It's tricky, the future's uncertain. We don't know anything with freelancers, you don't know your income stream probably, but thinking about it is a start. And I think you can probably, even listening to this webcast, get some very sound starting points that will take you a lot of the way down the road, and and getting your head out of the sand is number one. Um, So, I just think that to encourage people don't worry too much I think financial advice will um how can I put it you'll sort of know I think for some reason I've got a figure of a hundred thousand pounds bubbling up into my mind um so I'm gonna it's not the only way to do it but I think if people have got a hundred thousand pounds sitting somewhere then they might think oh hang on I need to you know maybe I need a bit of professional help the good thing also just to say about ifas um the uh, you know you should speak to a couple of them three three of them four of them you know it's a personality thing it, you, you might find someone who's really good and you know they should be and you don't need to go with someone who doesn't really understand you
1: yeah that that's definitely true i mean because i've I've had various different financial advisors over the years and I've actually settled with a friend now, which, you know, you you can say there's kind of pros and cons with that, but um, it means she can kind of explain in a way that I understand and she, Mm. I don't feel like I'm being patronised to because she's a friend, that's something I have found Mm. in the past that it's someone who's come in and I found them quite patronizing and condescending and probably because I felt a bit out of my depth as well and I've it's just been not I don't know just not a very pleasant experience um and you always feel like oh you haven't got enough money for them to be kind of worth spending time on you so you're right finding the right person who you feel comfortable with um will really help and Also, who can kind of explain that sometimes it can be a long process. I know unpicking our pensions has taken like years because my husband's got his own business. So that's all really complicated as well. And the funds that he had were really, really bad. And he didn't really understand that. Um, So unpicking it all is taking a very long time. So it needs to be someone that you you are comfortable with and who can explain that kind of journey and go on it with you i mean one thing i i think we haven't really touched on is is the government scheme so the emma i believe you've got the nest pension haven't you i do
0: yes so i um started that in the middle of the maternity leave chaos when i just thought i need to do something i need to start putting some money away i need to save i haven't got time to you know, look into different investments, do things. I don't even think that this will be the approach that I will take long term, but I just needed somewhere that I trusted that was safe to start to make a start and start putting money away. Um, But it'd be interesting to hear what either of you think about um, that as an option. So Hannah, what, what, you know, if someone's starting, they really haven't got a
1: clue where to start. I mean, we've mentioned a few companies, but you know even navigating those can be quite daunting is nest a good place to start
2: um yeah yeah i mean you know i think so there's a lot of really good most people don't realistically who has time or if you don't really know much or you don't care about investing you haven't got time to go and research all the options that you could choose if you went for a sip which is uh it stands for self-invested personal pension so it's kind of a like a a pension product that you can get where you just pick your own funds and what goes in there. Um, I would say most of the, the big investment platforms um, that we've mentioned have ready-made options. They cost a bit more, but it's just worth it because you know, you'll just be putting your money in something that someone's already done the homework on it. It's balanced. You know, um, It should be in line with roughly what risk you're comfortable with. Um, so yeah, just look for a kind of a ready-made option that you can just start somewhere. Yeah, nest is okay. Again, nest was kind of what I had in mind when I said um, a bit too safe. So go for the, if you, you know, you're young enough, go for the, the highest risk one, because it, it probably will be fine in the, you know, over the years to, um, that you've got, you know, for it to grow. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean,
0: the other thing we wanted to touch on a bit um, was ethical investing.
2: Mm-hmm. if that's in loads of good options use. nest has got one actually um, an ethical one um i quite like i use wealth is it Wealthify or wealthify i don't know wealthify um i use that for my kids junior ices and they've got an ethical sip and you can do it all on your there's an app on your smartphone it's really easy nice it's just user friendly um and not not too expensive in charges either so i quite like that one um nutmeg's got one socially responsible pension pension b has got a fossil fuel free one Um, or if you do feel a bit everybody's idea of what ethical is is different isn't it so for some people it's you know fossil fuels other people might be you know they don't want anything with they don't want weapons they don't want um, you know gambling or they do want more positive things more companies that are more impact investing style where they're trying to make positive changes um, so depending on what you want, um, you might be better um, building your own ethical portfolio because there are ethical fund sort of recommended lists on platforms like Hargreaves or AJ Bell, Interactive Investor, and you can kind of DIY and build your own that matches your values. That's an option the, as well.
3: Y- yeah, the, the one thing I'd say here, there is a huge disconnect, not merely between um, ordinary people and investing. But also between ethics and investing, which Hannah's just flagged up. When a lot of, if if there's one thing that might animate lots of the viewers of this podcast, well, you know, I don't care about investments, but you say, oh, you might care about the planet or you might care about a particular issue. And you might scratch your heads uh, when you unpeel what kind of companies the money goes into, because even ones which say they avoid, uh, certain types of industries or sin stocks, as we like to say, which could be cigarettes, could be weapons, could be fossil fuels, you'll still find some of the other companies might make you scratch your head, you know. Um, and I think that's a real struggle which people on both sides of the fence need to um, look into. And it might actually animate you, if thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to give my money somewhere for. 30, 40 years. I, I really want it to align with my values. I think that you sort of sh- should look hard about this. And as I say, I think it might animate lots of, of the viewers of the podcast. Because I think, um, yeah, there's lots of companies. Facebook would be a good example. You know, doesn't emit a lot of fossil fuels. It's been a fabulous earner. You know, it's been gold dust. You know, so most people say, thumbs up. That's a good investment, isn't it? And you think, well, do I like Facebook? You know, the there's lots to unpick here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is really tricky. Um, but at least now, I guess there are more options and, and it's slightly easier to do that research um, and kind of make those those decisions. Um, one thing I wanted to come back to, because we, we've talked about um, state pension, and obviously you're not going to be able to live off a state pension. You know, we're talking probably around about £9,000 a year. Um but I think some f- people might not realise that they also need to have enough national insurance credits in order to kind of get their full state pension. And again, if you've had gaps um, in those contributions, then that's going to, you know, affect that. So, Hannah, what what do people need to do in order to kind of make sure
2: they are getting, you know, as full estate pension as possible? Yeah. Again, this is another one that's. Uh, especially important for women because they're often have gaps it may be if you've taken time out to care for children or or other people or even if you've worked abroad you can have gaps in your record your national insurance contribution record Um, and that affects how your eligibility for the state pension if the state pension even exists by the time we retire which it might not that's another story Um, you have to have 10 qualifying years of national insurance contributions to get any state pension at all and 35 years to get the whole lot and even then it's the princely sum of nine grand or whatever it is it's not not great anyway so um to fill those gaps uh two main ways um one is to pay voluntary contributions so this is a way to fill the gaps in an incomplete record um but you can usually you can only do that for the last six years um so the best way to check where you're at what the situation is is to go on um, gov.uk government website and just put in um, there's a, a, a state pension forecast tool there where you can look to see if you've got any gaps on how much you're likely to be eligible for um, um, and the other thing is claim child benefit so even if you've got one if your partner says a high earner um, and you can't actually get the child benefit money. It's really important that whoever's the lower earner in your partnership has that claim in their name that they're registered for it anyway, because that gives you national insurance credits. So it boosts your entitlement to the state pension down the line. Um, And a lot of people don't realise that. So that is quite important.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, well, really good advice then. There's um, lots of links um, we can put into our show notes as well. So people can kind of go and check you know check these gaps and, and see what they need to do and and we'll put in links to where they can get further advice i think that's a, a really great um point to finish on and so to round up then um brendan if i come to you first what would be your sort of top tip from our discussion today kind of that one thing perhaps that people need to do or think about
3: uh they need to go to the government website which hannah mentioned money helper because that is broken down simple language it knows that you don't want to do this or you're reluctant and that will give you lots of different tips not just about pension but about financial advice so visit money helper
0: fantastic thank you and also yeah doing those pension calculators so you actually have got an idea of where you're at and, and what you're working with and um, Hannah same question to you what what's sort of your one bit of takeaway advice from today
2: um, yeah, just try not to get overwhelmed by it all. I know it feels like a big, daunting thing. That oh, I haven't done anything. Where do I even start? Just start. Just do something a little bit every month if you can, um, and give it time to grow. And um, if you're a woman in a partnership and you have kids, work as a team and make sure that you're you both. Nobody is building pension wealth off the back of the other, and no one is disadvantaged um, because you know that's again that's something that you'll pay for later.
1: Brilliant. Thanks very much. Fantastic advice. Okay, so as a way of sharing the freelance love, uh, we want to ask you both, who is a freelance journalist who's caught your eye recently? Um, Someone perhaps who's done a really good piece of work or someone you admire. So Brendan, have you got a recommendation for us?
3: Yeah, it's a slight wiggle, I must I must admit, um, because it's someone who uh, founded his own magazine called Responsible Investor, which does what it says on the tin. Um, he's, a, he's a friend of mine, but I'm always proud of anyone who sets up their own mag and sort of sees it through. Um, his name's Hugh Wheelan, but the reason why um, he counts, Lily, so hang on, that sounds like he's employed he he's he sold the magazine they or or they the new owners uh, didn't want his services anymore so he now is back in the freelance world he's got some funding i think he's going to make a big bang and he's going to bring all of this responsible investing that i mentioned earlier um to greater light so hugh whelan is the one to watch
0: fantastic sounds like good entrepreneurial spirit we like that on the podcast um hannah same question
2: to you who would you give a shout out to Um, I will choose my friend Felicity Hannah because um, I just don't know how she does it honestly she's (laughs) she does um, she's on she's all over telly and radio Um, I've been working on a a BBC podcast that she's doing with Deborah Meaden at the moment about green business Um, she does all of her regular print gigs as a freelancer she has three children and she always looks really put together and I I barely even brush my hair most days so I just she I definitely admire her how hard she works and how much she juggles um and she's a nice person too which helps it makes you sick to be honest (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's lovely I bumped into her in the toilets at the um headline money awards
1: um last (laughs) oh yes multi-award winner don't forget as well (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah that's a brilliant brilliant shout out Okay, fantastic. Well, it's time to bring this episode to a close. Um, that's been so helpful. Thank you so
0: much. Um, I think our listeners will get an awful lot from that. Absolutely, I think I I was making loads of notes that I was going on that. I think tips for myself, my own uh, pension. Um, if you want to know more about us or come and make do a bit of networking, make some more connections, come and join our freelancing for journalists Facebook community where there are now five thousand members. And on Twitter, we are at Freelancing4, and you can follow us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Gerno. And also big thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and our producer, Maddy Drury. And we'll be back again next week, but goodbye for now. Bye.